helped defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Family Life International presents Father Nicholas Grace of the Institute of the Incarnate Word. To learn more about the Institute, go to www.ive.org. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say that there is no resurrection, approach Jesus and they put this question to him. Master, we have it from Moses in writing that if a man's married brother dies childless, one the man must marry the widow to raise up the children for his brother. Well then, there were seven brothers. The first having married a wife, dialed childless. The second and then the third married the widow. And the same with all seven. They died leaving no children. Finally, the woman herself died. Now, at the resurrection, to which of them will she be wife, since she had been married to all seven? Jesus replied, the children of this world take wives and husbands, but those who are judged worthy of a place in the other world and in the resurrection from the dead do not marry, because they can no longer die. For they are the same as the angels, and being children of the resurrection, they are sons of God. And Moses himself implies that the dead rise again in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all men are in fact alive. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So this text gives us an opportunity to talk about the second last article of faith in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. But the context here is important to have in place. You see, Jesus, apart from being persecuted by Herod and his political allies, he was also persecuted by two groups. One, the Pharisees, and the other, as we hear today, the Sadducees. They had a common goal, destruction of Jesus of Nazareth. But they were different in their practices and beliefs. The Pharisees, we know, were men who were extreme hypocrites, many of them, they were people who were uh, just a religious body, while the Sadducees were religious and political. The Sadducees were the, arist aristocrat the nobility, and they, most of them were priests, and they were big into politics and the religious life, particularly in the temple. The Pharisees, they followed the law of Moses, the prophets, and about a thousand other little tiny minuscule rules and regulations for everyday life. The Sadducees weren't interested in that. They followed the written rule of Moses and that was it. Again, the Pharisees believed in spirits, in angels, in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in spirits or angels or the resurrection. So they were quite different in their modus operandi but had this common goal to destroy Jesus of Nazareth. Today it's the Sadducees that confront Jesus. The Pharisees haven't failed. And they put this question to him. 
A question which is meant to make belief in the resurrection seem ridiculous. They say, so if a woman marries one man and he's gone, then she marries another man and he's gone and marries another man. In the so-called resurrection, who is she going to be married to in heaven? Because she's married a lot of times here on earth. And Jesus, with a supernatural view of things, tries to say that we shouldn't be thinking of heaven as we think of this world, because they're different. Heaven is different than the earth, and we will be different in heaven. Jesus taught us about the resurrection, and he resurrected himself. His closest followers gave testimony to it. The church teaches it, and we hope in it. Now, this is the hope I'd like to nurture today to present the benefits that we can have ourselves of believing in the resurrection now and the benefits that will accrue to us when we are resurrected. So it's kind of resurrection for the faithful before and after. So if we believe in the resurrection, how does that benefit us? Firstly, it can, if not take away, certainly reduce the sorrow that we experience when someone we love passes from this world. Because if we have hope that we're going to see them again, not only soul, but also body, the pain in the present should be diminished by this hope for the future. But it should also help us not to fear ourselves of passing from this world, not to fear death. Because if we hope in the glorious resurrection of the body, we shouldn't worry about losing it here in the present, in this world. A belief in the resurrection is also great for pushing us on and doing good. Because if we hope for these great rewards, we'll try and modify our lives to gain those rewards in a positive manner. But we'll also try to avoid the punishment of losing that reward, which is the resurrection of our bodies and the glorification of our souls, by avoiding evil. So it pushes us to do good and holds us back from doing bad. And that's not only good for us, but everybody else around us. And this will be a direct consequence if we really believe in the resurrection. I mean, it makes sense. Is a drunken body to be glorified? Are thieving hands to steal into heaven? Should we not, with our tongues, hold back from slander and deceit? Should we not keep our eyes from impure glances? Should we not keep our hands from bribes? Of course we should. If we glorify God here with our bodies, God will glorify our bodies there. It's a simple reasoning process. But not only that, we also have the words of the Holy Scripture. I mean, I'm presenting that as a rational argument, but we also have the words of Christ, reason and faith. Jesus says, They who have done good things shall come forth unto the resurrection of life, but those who have done bad things, evil, unto the resurrection of judgment. Now, I don't want to talk about judgment here today. That's for another day. I'm more interested in this resurrection to life. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a hard concept to understand. And trying to 
find a way to, to speak about it, I found this nice uh, illustration which can help us understand for us. And it's that of the caterpillar and the butterfly. You see, as the caterpillar is to the butterfly, so is our present body to the resurrected body. There's continuity between the two, but a difference between the two. You see, just as the caterpillar's body is more suited to life on the ground and the butterflies to more life in the sky, so our current living body in this world is suited to a material world. Our resurrected body will be more suited, more adept to the spiritual world. And think about it. When we talk about or think about a caterpillar, we think about it not so much of what it is in the present, but of what it's meant to become. Not so much about its limited, quite ugly present state, but the beautiful transforming state of the butterfly. And it's a bit like that with us. Our whole life is determined and defined and looks to not the present life, but the future life. Not to this present body, but to the glorious body. What we're going to transform into. And that's why I like the um, example of the caterpillar and the butterfly. Because it represents our own current life and future life. About the future life though, benefits of being a resurrected person. We have St. Paul. He says again, like the caterpillar and the butterfly, that we'll have the same body, but not in the same state. He says, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortal body will put on immortality. Continuity will change. He says other things which are a bit more technical, that we will be completely agile, resplendent, glorious. And the theologians break this down into simple terms and they say things like, we will be beautiful. Everyone will be good looking. Wonderful. They say that we're all going to be about 33 years of age because it apparently is a perfect age. And these are assumptions, they're theories, but they're all absolutely convinced, all the teachers in the church, that we will be reunited, not just soul, but also body, with the good and the great of this world, with the saints, but most of all with our blessed Lord. We'll be reunited to him. We'll see him face to face. We'll have perfect intimacy with God and that he will fulfill all our desires. But people wonder and they find it hard to conceive that how is our body that could be just bones or even dust, how is this to be united to the soul? Now there's all kinds of texts in the scripture that talk about this. There's theological arguments. But I read a, a piece from a book of poems called The Lays of the Scottish Cavaliers. And in one of them, General Montrose is facing imminent brutal death from the so-called reformers, the Covenanters. And before they kill him, he says, Go nail my head to yonder tower. Give every town a limb. For the God who made me will gather them piece by piece, for I go from you to him. In other words, he didn't mind what they were going to do to him, just like the Maccabee brothers didn't believe what they were going to do to them. 
He had great belief in the resurrection of the body. A belief that we should have too. A belief that when the body returns to dust, the soul returns to God. That when the body is buried, the soul is crowned. That when the body serves Christ on earth, it will be resurrected to reign with him in heaven. So, I think we can turn to the Blessed Lady, who is assumed body and soul already into heaven and sits there with Christ, body and soul. Let's ask her the grace to live ever more holy lives on earth so that we may here forge our own crown for there in heaven, the crown of a king, the crown of a king, the crown of an everlasting dream. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.